Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Brant Best. Brant, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brenton. Cheers. Good to be with you. We've uh, we've sort of gotten to know each other over the last couple of months. We've been working together on a, a product that those that are listening right now will be available and, and released. It's called the Swim Better by EO. And it's kind of like a power meter for swimming. And it basically looks at, and in high detail, the, your force throughout the different movements of the stroke. So there's, there are these two devices, you wear one on each hand and it measures the direction of your force and how much force you're, you're producing. And there is just, it's well beyond anything that's been available on the market. And what was it that attracted you to, to the product when you first found out about it? Oh, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> uh, really, really the number one thing is that like we know that force is important in swimming. I mean, there's really only two things that drive your speed and it's force and it's drag. And we know that force is important, but we've really had no way to measure force output. We've measured overall speed and overall velocities and ups and downs with that. And that's very good technology, but we've never been able to isolate force. So we don't really know what the hands are doing and how the hands are going. We've got great coaches with great eyes that think we think we know, but we don't truly understand because we know what it looks like for somebody to keep moving, but not what's happening with force. So really fills in the gaps for, for me as far as takes the guesswork out and actually enables us to quantify what we're doing in the water as far as the force production goes. So that, that's number one out of about 10 that I could, I could go through. And we probably could be talking for two hours on, on what I'm excited about with it because uh, I just wish I was coaching. I'm currently mentoring um, with Sue in Queensland, have been up for five years, but this is exciting enough to really make me want to jump back on pool deck and see what it does with yeah. my athletes. Yeah, and you coming from uh, from an elite, working with elite athletes and uh, probably most notably uh, coaching James Magnuson to two, two world titles, I think it was, and uh, especially at that elite end. And we were doing some filming for this, this product and we're working with some fairly high-level swimmers and we were both there looking, looking at the footage, looking at the data and going, oh, my God, these guys have so much room to improve still there's so much opportunity there for them to get better and that's with their quite high level athletes and you know, compared to the swimmers that i'm usually working with they might be around the 145 to two minute mark per 100 as as adults there's there's always big opportunities there but even at that top end there's so much oh, there, there is it's it's exciting to know what the data is saying because it explains what we don't know mm. but it's also really exciting because we're dealing with it, it's about selling the, the message. And if you can't sell the message, no one's going to buy it. So if we can sell that message of what we're trying to convey with actual data and be able to quantify it to our elite swimmers, it's, it, it takes away the, the feel as the only parameter for how effective things are because people are comfortable with what feels normal rather than what feels good sometimes. So to be able to say, hey, this is, this is quicker or you're producing more force here or you're losing force because you're in a different position in the water, it's massive. It's massive for guys at those level. At the guys swimming around the one forty-five to two minutes per hundred, it's just uh, it, it's it's just incredible the changes that are going to be able to be seen, and also to be able to compare it with swimmers that are going quicker and working out why. Because there are only a couple of real reasons why um, swimmers are going faster than you, or you're beating swimmers. And again, it comes back to force and drag. And if you if your force isn't there, then you can't get there. It measures the 
not only the peak of your force, but the length of your force, which is exciting as well for the amount of time you're on the water per stroke. A lot of people think it's about power, but it's actually a lot to do with the amount of time producing force during your stroke. And we're seeing big lumps in the middle of that for some swimmers that really, if we fill in those lumps in, um, in their force through the middle of their stroke, they can go ridiculously faster and, and, and more efficiently and, and probably easier too. Um, so yes, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy what we're, going to, what we're going to be learning, what we're already learning. Uh, from this product and uh, then what we what we do with that with those um those ideas that's a i want to dig into that a little bit because i think it was I'm trying to remember the coach i was, I was listening to my um yeah anyway it was talking about you always want to keep pressure on the water it's kind of like a, a phrase that's stuck in the back of my of my mind always keep pressure on the water and this is and with with the device we can see where there is no no pressure on the water where there's that, that gap. And, um, and that's kind of what you're talking about in terms of how long do you keep pressure on the water? So, uh, or how long do you keep contact with it? So for someone listening, if you think of when you enter the water and you begin reaching forwards, then you start, you, you catch, you, you want to try and hold that pressure on the water all the way through at the back. And you want to sort of lengthen, lengthen that. You don't want to rush through it and, and slip and produce a high amount of force, but actually have it you know slipping through. We want to try and maximize that that contact time in a way, because that way it means you're creating the best shapes and you've been able to maintain that pressure rather than just looking for a huge spike. And then it drops off. That may, you know, one thing we can do is, is lengthen that out. And that's something that uh, I've heard you talk a lot about when we've been working together on this, this device. And, 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 and why is that? Like, why is it something that stands out to you based on your coaching experience? So for me, um, length is a little bit misunderstood in swimming. We, Generally, we talk about length and you see people reaching out too far at the front or overreaching at the front or pushing too far at the back or over-rotating the hips at the back. Now, I like to think about, I mean, it's obviously important. We don't want to be too short with our stroke. And so a little bit of length is important, but there's a point at which too much length is not good for you. It doesn't help your rhythm. It doesn't actually add to your, to too much to your length of stroke. And if it does, it, it is at the expense of your cadence or this, the speed of your arms. Secondly, and to that probably, I like to look at length as how far you travel through the, the middle of your stroke, but how far you reach out at the back or push out of the front. I was talking to a, a running coach the other day about the same concept with running and overstriding is one of the worst things you can do in running because it does interrupt your rhythm and it doesn't make you an effective runner. And it seems to me that overstriding or overreaching swimming is, is a lot more widely accepted. Um, I like to think of it as more like a rower where you put the oar in the water and then you, 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 for an effective amount of time, and then you pull it out. You don't overreach at the front and you don't end up with the oars up around your nose because, um, or, or the handles up around your nose because that's not an effective use of your force. It's a combination between stroke rate and, and how much length you travel. So uh, it's, it, it's important for understanding what length is truly about and the amount of time we are on the water effectively um, through the middle and, how, and what we do with the water is why that is so important. It's, it's what drives length. And we look at the best race analysis of the best swimmers in the world. It's the ones that have the best stroke length that get there in combination with how fast their arms are going. Uh, overreaching isn't doing that. It's effective because you're efficient at a certain stroke rate or a certain speed. Um, uh, long answer to a short question, but that's why I'm excited about what this measures. Yeah, and I think as well, when, when someone is overreaching, either out the front or out the back, when you're at that absolute extreme of your capable reach, you're not very strong. You're not very strong out there. Like there's that 
that point. And for a lot of people, if I see someone overreaching and it's evident, one of the cues, one of the things I'll get them to do is say, shorten your reach by 5%. And it brings you back in that comfortable range where you're controlled, you're more balanced, and you don't get that point where they're overreaching and then the, the hips might go too far and the legs will splay. Like it, it's very noticeable once you're looking for it. Yeah, absolutely. And you see that loss of balance. And it, it, again, I, I like to talk about other sports because that's, that's where we learn the best. But in any sport or if I just pop down to the gym and I'm off balance, if I've got to do my squats on a, on a Swiss ball rather than standing on the ground, I'm off balance. I can't produce the same amount of force. And an overreach puts us off balance. And that hip roll you're talking about puts us off balance. And then we just can't produce the same amount of force, especially at the, like you say, right at the edge of our range. So um, the, the balance that we get is important to producing the force, and that also something that we can we can measure with the device. So um, and, and measure and, and see when we when we go too far. I know that we were looking at one athlete, and they they overreached, and we saw something that's fairly common in freestyle, where the hand goes in and then faces up at the front of the stroke just a little bit. But I, I was excited that not only did we see a delay in the force being produced, we actually saw negative um, propulsion. We actually saw it, the device brought out that it causes some drag, actually causes cost us some. Um, cost us yeah it cost us some drag it wasn't wasn't ideal for i mean obviously it's not ideal but i mean i always think it was going to be a length measuring device but to be able to measure resistance as well obviously it does because it measures force but to put it in the opposite direction and say hey we're actually putting something in the way we're actually putting the brakes on our stroke at the front by trying to reach and get more length and more speed we're actually costing ourselves the other thing i found interesting with it too is because it measures the direction of the force, you know, if your hand comes up, palms facing forwards, well, it, it measures that. But it also measures as you're going through the stroke, yeah, you'll have a bit of out sweep, in sweep, there'll be a bit of a curve to the hand. But I see a lot of swimmers, particularly at the back, once they're sort of about their belly button, the hand will turn mm. into the body. And so it's almost like they're just slipping out the back. They're not holding that water all the way through. And the force that's generated there, it's not a lot because you're not obviously not, there's not a lot of generated force if you're, if you're, hand is turned you know that way and it's slicing out the back but you see you basically see well they they lose all that propulsion and there is a little bit of force actually going uh if you listen to this like i guess in towards the center um where yeah. we want to try and keep it keep it behind us so the thing that was a little bit of a surprise i guess it, it wasn't a surprise once i once i actually thought about it it was okay there's not much force off to the side there at the back but you can actually see it's, it's happening um so it just indicates that okay this swimmer isn't keeping the palm facing back behind them the whole way through. So it's, it's good to be able to see that part of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Is it, uh, it can then help us identify whether we're using our core appropriately because there's a lot of talk through the back of our stroke then. We, and there's a lot of talk about using core and, and, and connection through the middle, but we can see athletes lose that. And as often as I see anything, we're now looking with these devices and because we can look at, see when the force drops off, we can actually identify on the video and slow the video down and look at what's actually happening. We see the hand slide off. And a lot of that happens because again, we see the balance, the hip rolls too far too early. And we see the hand slide off and, and lose pressure because we're losing torque through the middle. So it not only helps us identify, but helps us get to the root cause of, of where we're going wrong. And we don't, need to, we don't need to find a lot of length to get a lot of improvement. Mm. Um, we look at our very, very best. I think Cole Chalmers, takes around about 65 strokes per um, per 100. And uh, if, if he picked up, and five centimetres doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a hell of a lot for a guy like that because five centimetres times 65 strokes, 
going up with three, 3.25 meters. <laughs> now, that's, that's a significant chunk under the world record if he swims 3.25 meters faster because he's swimming at almost exactly two meters per second. And at the end of the race, probably a bit slower than that too, but around two meters per second. Um, that, that gives you a uh, one point, I don't know, I'm not great with math, 1.5 to 1.6 second advantage. Now, five centimeters is a lot for Kyle. That's a hell of a lot, but probably not for you. The, the sort of people you're talking about, five centimeters is, is uh, something that's quite comfortable to be taken off within a two-month, three-month, six-month period. Uh, but it, it will produce that much increase in speed. I, I see some master swimmers, I think they can take 10 centimeters per stroke. And, you know, and they take a lot more than 65 strokes per 100 meters. You know, so I, um, I, across the board, um, being able to measure that and, and, and actually quantify stroke length like that when there's a lot of stroke counting going on um which is not the most effective tool i think either for measuring stroke length this is a much more effective tool mm. yeah and one of the things you also were looking at too was and we were looking at some of the footage of the swimmers that got recorded for this uh, promotional video and you were really dialing into when the swimmers connected and when they're not so one of the things that you were looking for which i've looked at a little bit in the past but you were you really opened my eyes to the importance of keeping everything connected. So when you're, you're into the catch position, you're applying power. So someone's listening to this, it might be when the hand is kind of just out in front of the, of the shoulder. So kind of when you finish the catch there, you're looking to see where are their hips at that point. And, mm-hmm. uh, and do you want to talk a bit about why, why it's important for the hips to be in the right position when they've finished their catch and they're about to really start to apply some force? Absolutely. Um, for, for, for a few ways, but to, to keep it really, really simple, um, if, you, you, if your body is twisted or you're on your side at all, you can disconnect from, from the middle of your stroke and you can't get, you, you can't struggle to produce force because you're not in that good balance, you're not in that balanced position where your core is able to produce force. If you're on your side while you're trying to produce force or you're in that breath stroke and your hips aren't in, that, in a stable position where you can produce force, now the very, very best, they can be on their side a little bit and still be in a stable position and produce force. But you, your average punter and, and some very, very good age swimmers need to be facing, as they started to produce force through the middle of their stroke, if their belly is facing the bottom of the pool, they're going to be able to, pr- to produce more force. But if you're on your side, the more on your side you are, the harder it is to stay stable. If you are in that unstable position, you can't produce force. And all you're doing is directing your body back, to, back and forth and, and side to side almost because you are off balance. Whereas if you are on your belly, you're in a pretty well balanced position and you can produce force through your stroke. So for me, you get through your catch and some swimmers, depending on where their timing is going to be, I'm going to move back here to demonstrate a little bit. But if we're, if we're here like that, you get all the swimmers are on this side there. So you've got someone like, a, let's say like an Ian Thorpe who, who comes up, who has a timing in around here before he starts to get onto his before he starts to get onto his catch, gets into a, a really nice catch position, but through when you see him really producing force, he's in somewhere around about that 45 degree to 60 degree angle at the front of the stroke and is very, very flat through his belly through that point of his stroke. And, and it's common amongst our best swimmers that they're, they're flat at that position there and they produce their best force in that position. But if you are off to your side and you're too far on your side, which I think is what you're talking about, yep. you won't produce good fault force until you come back and you won't be connecting until you're on your belly. Mm. Um, so that's what's really important for me um, in what you're talking about and to be connected with your stroke. And it comes back to where we talked about before with, with, with balance for me, Brenton. 
Um, if we are on our belly, we're much more balanced than we are on our side. If I, I want to, again, make it really, really simple. Um, and the sooner we can get on our belly, um, the sooner we can produce force. Yeah, so I started looking at that a bit with some of the stroke analysis uh, swimmers that I that I work with. So I've got a bunch of athletes that are sending their videos underwater footage and I'll I'll analyze them every one, two or three weeks roughly. And I started looking at that this with with some of them. And there was a few where they were much too far on their side, usually their breathing side. So they'll they finish their catch, their hips are still, you know, sometimes they're at like 60 degrees. Uh, even even more sometimes and you look at it and, and then their, their hips they're not getting back to flat until their hand is almost at their hip it's kind of at their belly button and when you just play it in slow motion you see well that point as they're going through their catch they're passing under their shoulder all the way through the arms moving but it's not really connected up very well with the body at all so it's just that slippage it's that big you know, slip slip there and if someone's listening to this thinking okay i think i understand what they're talking about have a look up some slow motion underwater footage on YouTube, maybe of someone like Ian Thorpe or Katie Ledecky, have a look at it, slow it down and, and pause it when they finish their catch, have a look at where their hips are and you'll see they're back to flat or very close to being back to back to flat. There's a cracking video of Cam McAvoy uh, doing the 50 and 2016 at trials and it's on YouTube. So it's easy to find. I think there's one of Kate as well. And you see this demonstrated really, really um, effectively because the breathing complicates this, but it, if you take the breathing out, it's a pure stroke. And when he's, it, it, the talk that he's getting with the minimum amount of hip movement that he's getting, I think it's when he would have gone, he go 21-4 uh, in that 50. And he's only a little dude. I mean, he, he would have weighed, you know, 75K ringing wet, which he probably was when he got out of the water. And, um, and, but his stroke length for the for a guy of that size was absolutely phenomenal. And Cam, like Cam's a good sprinter, but probably not jumpy enough to be considered to be a real 50 guy. But the length and, and, and connection that he's getting in that video is a great demonstration for me of, uh, of, of where you want to be uh, well, when you're not breathing, but also where you want to be when you are breathing. I think that the closer we can get our breathing stroke to our non-breathing stroke, the more effective we're going to be when we're, when we're swimming. Because the breath is a pause and it's a stop and it's a loss in balance like you're talking about. Another thing that you were looking quite keenly into was the, was the breath timing. And when, and one thing that you pointed out was that you see a lot of swimmers breathing too late. So do you want to talk a bit about what that looks like and then yep. what's, what's the optimum for most people? So getting, I mean, back to real basics for me is we want to be, um, we, we want to be on our belly early in our, production of force and we want to be connected to our body if we're hanging out there too long on our side um, we're not going to be connected so if you breathe late you're on your side late and if you're on your side late then you're not producing force or you're minimizing the amount of force you're producing and something interesting about the swim better device is that uh, what we're seeing is the force isn't great but we're also seeing um, that there's a lot of drag there when you're in that position as well. So not only are you not producing force, you're not connected, you're actually, you're actually producing a, a little bit more drag than, than I'd considered was, was an issue here because I've really thought about it as a propulsion issue and looking at the positions they are underwater, it appears that there's more drag than I'd taken into account. But if you're on your side, you can't produce force. And I, I actually challenge everyone at home to try to actually be on your side, get across to 90 degrees and see how your power feels mm. and or get back onto your belly with your, with your chest or your, your belly facing the bottom of the pool 
get down the front of your stroke, even if it isn't a drill, even if it's something like one of my favorite drills is a long dog drill where your hands recover under the water. And because they do, this shoulder doesn't get right up over the top. And so you're in a really nicely balanced position. If you try the long dog drill when you're on your side and you stay on your side, you're actually paddling away at nothing and you'll feel the difference in force. So I'd encourage someone to, to try those drills out just to just because again, if you don't buy it, then we can't sell it. So get in there and try it for yourself, get on your side. So for that reason, if you breathe late and you are still breathing and you're breathing high, when you're trying to produce force, it's very, very difficult to get the length of stroke that you want. So I want to be, I want to be taking that breath. If you're sprinting, I want to be, I want to be starting to move the head before we've entered the water. So I want to be, have the head started to move here and the roll starting to happen only because once you get into your, your extended position here, you want to be able to put your head back in the water by the time your hand is in a really good forceful position. If you wait mm. too long, if your head's still up here, you'll, as you were talking about before, you'll decrease the amount of time that you are in that power phase of your stroke where you are on your belly. So I want to be back in that position nice and early because if I wait too long, basically I'm losing my 5, 10, 15 centimetres per stroke of effective power. Mm. Well, I remember seeing Nathan Adrian in, I don't know if it was 2012 or 2016, one of the Olympic Games. And I remember that he, he had a very, very early breath. I reckon he'd, he'd trained to just bring it back so quickly just to be able to get yeah. back into that into that powerful position uh it really stood out to me and i I think i remember maybe one of the commentators talking about it uh or his his coach talking about it do do you remember do you recall i do yeah i remember nathan adrian um he's a very good swimmer and a fantastic racer he was the guy that beat maggie for 2012 and and did it because he made good changes to thing to his stroke from from even from 10 to to 12 some really good effective changes on his stroke and that was one of them he breathed quicker to get back in line because and we've seen it with his finish. He, he finished, I think, at least the last 10 without a breath. We've seen Dressel now going out a little bit further than that without their breath because you know that your breath costs you because at the end of your race, if you are hanging out on your side, then you're going to de- decrease your momentum, decrease your rhythm and decrease your stroke length. These guys aren't breathing at the end, but when they are breathing and they do need to breathe, Nathan's very, very short on his breath. Two videos to watch. I'd watch Nathan in there. And I know that with, with James, when he went 47-1, it's a really good video because Nicole Stevenson's commentating it. We had a bit of a, a bit of a giggle to ourselves afterwards because he got to the 35 meter mark, James, of that race. He said he hasn't taken a breath yet, and he take he breathes tooth, but he breathes <laughs> so low because we worked a lot on making sure that we were backing a line on that breathing stroke. I should actually go to the other side there because James was this side breather and I'm that side. He to get back to to minimise the amount of roll, we breathe down rather than even breathing sideways. See, a lot of swimmers breathe up and they end up more on their side, but we didn't want to be on our side, so he actually breathed down. Mm. She couldn't see him breathing. So from a commentator's point of view, I was, I was super proud to say, hey, it didn't look like he'd breathed at all, and he breathed twos for the whole of the race so far. So between those two, you get an idea that a breath costs you. So you either decrease the amount of times you breathe, you breathe quicker, get your head back in line earlier, or you breathe lower, or a combination of all of them because – a breath is just going to cost you every time you do one, unless you work really, really effectively on that breathing stroke. And I had a few guys, um, Jess Ashwood was very, very good at Q with breathing twos, James with breathing twos. Um, but because we worked 80% of our time technically on the breathing stroke on the other side, 
So what we're, what that arm was doing, how quickly they were getting back in the water. Mm. I one of the things I've had good success with with a number of swimmers that have been breathing late is the the cue of pull into the breath. So if you think of uh, I'm going to breathe to my left hand side, when my left hand begins to to pull, it's coming underneath your shoulders or your head. Pull into the breath and start to turn your head there, and then you can get it back fairly fairly quickly. So that's been yep. an easy to remember one for them, and and that seems to to stick for those people that are that are struggling with it. And <laughs> the other the other one that I've, I've seen it, uh, it sort of lead to more with some of the swimmers around like the 140 mark, give or take a few seconds either way, is I talk a lot about like keeping your head on a skewer. Like we don't want to turn our head a lot. We don't want to lift it up too much. You know, just keeping everything yep. centered, which is a good thing to do. But sometimes people actually take that too far and they'll have their head actually too deep in the water. They're too low. So by the time they turn their head to breathe, they're having to turn quite far because they're so low in the water with it. So I just want to make sure that people keep the top of their head you know, just above the surface of the water. So you can turn the head, you get the breath quickly and easily, and then you, you bring it back. So some people are coming from almost like underneath the water, trying to get that low breath, but it's like, mm-hmm. well, you're going to have to turn far if you're too, too low with it. Yep. Agree completely. See a lot of that with age groupers because there's a lot of talk about making sure. And, and the phrase I don't use a lot is keep your eyes down. Mm. it works but if you're closed off here i mean if, if you're too high you switch your power off if you're too low you switch your power off through your middle so i'm, I'm all about that that force through the middle and i agree with you on the breath I, I like to talk about with the with the juniors and i do a lot of clinics with a lot of kids we talk about wrinkles in the back of the neck and we don't mm. want wrinkles because we don't want the head to be too high we also don't want wrinkles at the front we want length here length here and length here and you're going pretty well if you're doing that uh, and then you can get up into your breath because you're in a more functional position too, because you are like a skewer. This isn't a skewer mm. and you can't turn very effectively and you actually limit your rotation through your thoracic spine if you are too close off and your head is low. Besides the fact that you've got, you're absolutely right, you've got to come from a long way under the water, you actually functionally can't rotate. And I can sit there in the chair at the moment and hopefully everybody could at home as well. If you're, not, if you're in the right position, you can rotate really nicely. If you're closed off, feel that rotation go and that, that's not where you want to be in the water so um absolutely right um across the board and when we talk about we talk about it only being you know or, or being the guys that are around the, the the masters or the adults as you're talking about but um it's all the way through the top you have a look at there we got some pretty good guys who you you look at from the front and you watch and you can still see the goggles pop up out of the water from the front of the stroke so head position universally not done very very well I think. And uh, if it is an issue for you, well, it, it just changes everything if you can get it right. But I just, I'd say rather than let us as coaches tell you the exact right position, play Goldilocks a little bit, go, okay, this is too high. This is too low. This is just right. And then you use your coach's feedback to say, okay, I agree with you or disagree with you, but I think you've got to, you've got to find it for yourself and where is most effective. Um, and then use coaches. If you, as an athlete, if you're not in that discovery mode yourself, um you're just solving our problems on what we see but we can't feel what you feel so i'd say anybody go to your coach have a chat to them about your head position and 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 whether it's effective to reduce drag for propulsion and for your best breathing position uh, the other important part of that where a swimmer can go back and forth they can give themselves give yourself permission to experiment with that kind of stuff 
because then you actually build up that awareness around, okay, this is what it's like when I'm really low with my head. This is what it's like when I'm looking straight forwards. And this is what it's like when I think I'm about halfway and I feel like I'm right. And then that way, as you're going through a session, you might just realize, oh crap, okay, my head's gone down too deep. Now I can, I can bring it back up. So building up that, that awareness is much easier to do when you go back and forth between the extremes. And then you find that, that sweet spot in between. And one of the, one of the drills we do at our clinics is, is essentially that with the head position. It's like, okay, I want you to swim 25 meters looking all the way forwards. Eyes are in the water, but you're looking pretty much straight ahead. And then on the way back, I want you to look down, then look a bit further forwards, play around with it. And I think sometimes it's just feeling like you've got that permission to do the wrong thing because yeah, yeah it's just like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to train the wrong thing. Well, yeah, you just give yourself, let yourself do that. Yeah, yeah, you do, but you do as well. I mean, you definitely want to train the wrong thing because I want swimmers to be able to know what the wrong thing feels like. If you don't do it on purpose, you're not going to catch yourself out. Yeah. So I love contrast training. I think, as you mm. say, a really good point, it increases your awareness. If you've got better awareness, then when that neck blocks up and you get that same feeling, you've done it before and you've corrected it and you know how to correct it again. So awareness is absolutely everything. And awareness and then being on your own path of your own discovery is also important rather than waiting to be told. Because if you're in a typical squad, you're going to have, 15 to 30 people in your squad, which means you're going to get anywhere between six and 3% of your coach's time. But if, you, if mm -hmm. you've done your contrast training and you know what position feels best and you've chatted to them about it, then it's a collaboration of everybody and you can try your own stuff out. Try a stroke count with your head too low. Try one with your head too high. Try being on your side. Get a feel for what it's all about. Uh, it, it puts you in power of your, in charge of your swimming. Mm. That's what I say to some of the age group kids who come to our clinics there might be a change in their technique where i'm not 100 sure it's going to be the right or the best thing for them because it, you know, it might be a very subtle change or you do see some differences between elite swimmers so if i'm not sure i'll, I'll say to them okay if you're ever getting timed 50s or, or timed hundreds from your coach say it's like 10 50s all at the same effort i want you to do one of these in the old position one of them in the new position, go back and forth, see which one is, is quickest, see which, which is most efficient and use that as your gauge of whether or not it's the, the right thing to do. Yep, absolutely. You should be able to get it by feel. We, I think we've got to give everybody who's in the water a, an opportunity to feel because we've got some people out there that are, well, everyone's going to feel it better than we feel it because we're standing there watching as coaches. We've got an eye, but we're not feeling it like, like swimmers are. Too often, too, I'll tell a swimmer to do something and they'll try it. And you can see that they're not quite bought in, but they don't want to bring it up. I'd say, bring it up with your coach. Tell them that you're not feeling what you should be feeling or it doesn't quite feel right. And I'll give you the reason why that is or isn't the right thing to be doing. But get on the prices of, of, of being invested because as a coach myself, anybody who's invested in their swimming who wants to find out more, I'm super happy to be talking to them rather than anyone that's plowing up and down the pool. But I'm a coach more than I'm a trainer. So I want to be working with my athletes. So I'd say um, athletes out there, speak to your coaches about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to experiment with. Yeah. And I, I think some of that pushback from not pushback necessarily, but if you're the, if you're the swimmer, your coach has said um, like, whatever, put your head down and maybe it, like it doesn't feel great. And maybe that's why you don't stick with it. And then you, the next session, your coach says, put your head down, like, have that, have that chat and, and tell them why and be, be honest about it. Because whenever any of the athletes that I've coached have given me some pushback, about something or they've said oh okay i'm making this change but it's it's slower or it doesn't feel good then you can actually get to the root of it and you can figure out a way that actually actually works but i think sometimes because of that 
coach athlete relationship, sometimes it's they're reluctant to bring it up as the as the athlete. It has to be a collaboration. Um, and besides the fact that the coach will tell you to do something based on something they've seen somebody else do, but between their instruction and you doing it as an athlete, there's an interpretation difference. There's body size differences. You look at the difference in stroke between someone like a a, a Libby Lenton uh, or Libby Trickett and uh, and Kate Campbell. Uh, Kate is six foot, whatever she is, and uh, Libby was five foot and a half, five foot five or something, and she had the smallest hands in the world. And and uh, and Kate's a completely different swimmer. Um, they they both swim within very very close times to each other, uh, and. Uh, they swam very, very differently. So you've got to, and, and if, they're, if they're that different, the difference between what your coach has seen and the master swimmers in the water or junior swimmers versus senior swimmers, there's going to be a lot of differences. So you've got to be able to collaborate with your coach and understand what works best for you and, and why. Mm. And you, as you said, you're now going around to lots of different clubs, you're running lots of different clinics and stuff for, for some age group swimmers. What, what are some of those things that you've picked up over the last couple of years in your role where if, say, a coach is listening to this or maybe someone who's got kids that are, that are young, what are some of those core fundamentals that if you could just go click your fingers and go, this is, this is what all our Australian young kids are swimming like now, uh, what are a few yep. of those things that, that you've seen in the last few years? Okay, so I, I call them my non-negotiables. Because um, I don't like to pattern specifically, so specifically on a swimmer that um, they look like somebody else. I want to work with, with, um, with, with their strengths. So my non-negotiables are body position is number one. If you're in good body position, uh, you've got the right shape through the water, you'll cut through the water a whole lot better and you'll reduce drag. That's my number one. If you're not reducing drag, uh, you need a whole lot more propulsion to overcome that little bit of drag. So you need be cutting through the water very, very nicely in the right shape. If you're moving sideways, if you're lifting your head, if you're dropping your head too far, if your feet are coming out of the water too far because you're trying to kick too hard, that's all going to affect your ability to move through the water in a straight line. And the straighter line you can move through the water, the more you cut it through the water. So it's the reason why kids can go so comfortably down the first 50 to 100, some of them almost in PB 50 time, because they are smoother. And smoothness is everything in swimming. So smoothness will, will also give you probably what I would call my number two, which is balance. If you're in a good low drag position, there's a good chance you'll be in a balanced position. If you're in a nicely balanced position, you'll know because you can produce the best force. So getting in a good balanced position, wherein we talked about it in freestyle, is being in a position where you are close to being on your belly or with, with a stable core where you can use your core and you can use your torque through the middle of your stroke. Um, balance is absolutely number two for me. And they all kind of link together because if you've got good balance, then you're going to be propulsive. And mm. if you're propulsive, then you're going to be able to anchor at the front of your stroke and travel as well as you can through to the back of your stroke. If you've got those three in line there, then you're going to be swimming with power, distance per stroke, and distance per stroke is everything. And on top of that, I would say, once you've got that together, then you can start to add your rhythm or your cadence, and that will give you stroke rate. So mm. that's kind of the way that I look at it, um, very simply. Body position first, balanced position second. Think about your power through your stroke or your propulsion through your stroke with, with controlled hands, not gripping hands. Don't grip, grip too tight. Tension is the enemy of speed. And then add your rhythm to that so you've got a good rhythm and a good cadence. It'll take you for a long time. It's so much more important 
they're trying to produce speed from gripping and ripping and rushing because gripping, you'll increase your drag, we increase your body position, we make your body position worse, you'll have less balance and you'll tighten up and tension. You can't grip, you can't hold good water with tension. So um, speed is not just about max effort, speed is about producing yeah, like I've been talking about. There's a really good video that uh, I, I, I posted a video on YouTube about two weeks ago. It was of Caleb Dressel getting interviewed by a guy, Graham Bensinger. And Caleb, he's, he's talking about, he loves to watch nature animal videos. And he's talking about it. When you watch a cheetah run in slow motion, you see like their, their fingers are relaxed and, and moving through the air and just sees how relaxed they are at, at top speed. And so he tries to, do that when he's when he's swimming so at the back of his stroke as his arms coming over through the front of his catch he's trying to relax as as much as possible and i i I loved i love this this clip of him talking about it because it's like oh it's just it's so so true isn't it And, and one of the things actually that i found interesting with the with the swim better when i first came across it and did a little bit of testing with some different athletes they some of the slower athletes had a higher output of force in their stroke like you know peak peak force Mm. than some of the swimmers that were much faster and it was because they were just ripping so hard in the water at the front whereas the swimmers are actually faster it was it was a little bit more of a gradual build up and then a a taper off and it's like wow okay like and it was not not insignificant with how much less that peak force was so it just yeah it goes to your goes to your point this podcast is brought to you by form goggles Form empowers swimmers at every level to reach their goals, whether they want to get stronger, faster, swim further, or to be more efficient. Get lap-by-lap motivation with real-time metrics and workout instructions right in your goggles. And Form's recently released Form Plans, which include a progressive series of workouts to help you achieve your fitness, skills, or triathlon goals. You can follow along with the plan and your weekly swims will be automatically synced to your goggles. So you'll swim through your workouts with real-time metrics and workout instructions all in your goggles. So it's like having a coach right there with you. And I've had a look through these training plans and I think they are excellent for people who want to train for certain triathlons or reach certain fitness goals. It will build on each week and a really good way to progress, progressively build up your fitness. So if you'd like to follow along with some plans to help you reach your specific swimming goals, then check out Form Goggles at formswim.com forward slash effortless. And this will give you $15 off your purchase of Form Goggles. So formswim.com forward slash effortless to get your pair of form goggles. Absolutely. We, we've been working with, um, with uh, QAS, work with, uh, with the devices, as do all the studies just call the, call the Rex device. Basically, they put a little bit, a um, fishing line on the back of their togs and it measures the output of their stroke. The swimmer that produces the highest amount of force is around about a second and a half slower probably 1.2 seconds slower per over 50 metres than our best um, guys over over 50. He produces the most force. Hmm. Um, interesting, isn't it? it? It's unbelievable. And so, so we've, look, we've looked at that and then we, we put the same, we measure that force by measuring with a rope. So the same sort of thing on, a, on an output device, but a different device on and something similar in a very similar sort of way to how you weigh your suitcase, but, but a, a lot more better technology than that. So put them on a rope as well. And we measure their absolute force output without, without uh, generation of speed. And this guy produces force through the roof, but when we get onto um, actual times, he's a, he's a fair way off. So we know that 
um, if you're producing a lot of force, and this is what's exciting about the swim better too, because maximum force doesn't necessarily mean mass, maximum speed. I was speaking with one of their biomechs from something Australian. We were talking about this the other day, but what we do know is if we are producing force and we're not getting a lot of speed, we can then diagnose our stroke as being a high drag stroke and saying there are other things in the way other than you know the force that you're producing. And it's great to walk on pool deck and look like you're, you're about to walk into the local bodybuilding competition, but um, that doesn't produce force and, and dry land strength doesn't necessarily reduce force either, despite everybody, a lot of people try and walk around and look like Caleb Dressel. Um, we look at the speed of Cameron McAvoy in that 50 and you look at their dive time and their swimming speed time and their swimming speed time is very, very similar despite Cam being so much lighter and moving through the water. And James, James was similar, similar sort of speed and his stroke rate was quite a bit less than both of those guys because they were finding the best way to move through the water rather than ripping and tearing and going for maximum force. Maximum force does not produce maximum speed in swimming. Mm -hmm. um, there's a big difference between max effort and, and, um, and top end. Yeah, the... The thing that I see with elite athletes in any sport, and I'm a big fan of surfing. I love to watch surfing and, and sort of study those guys. You'll see that the best surfers in the world are moving a lot less. They're much more efficient with their movements mm. than those that are pretty new to it. You'll see someone who's new to swimming, uh, sorry, new to surfing. And there's something called like poo stance where it's like feet are apart bum sticking out and like they've got their arms and their, their arms and hands out really wide and they're doing like lots of movements and things are swinging around. You look at a good surfer, they're very controlled uh, with their movements. They're very efficient with them. And the same thing goes for swimming. You look at someone like a, maybe a 12 year old kid who's been asked to swim 50 meters as fast as he can. His arms are going to be thrashing. There's so much movement happening, but if you can become very efficient with the movements that you're making and you're only making the required, the necessary ones, then you're going to be, be swimming well. And yeah, it takes a lot of time and practice to be able to move that way and, and get towards it. But I think it's, it's important to keep that in the back of your, your mind as you're, as you're looking to improve your swimming is it's not that for you to get faster. It's not that you're necessarily going to have to do more or, or work any harder. It's probably, you're just going to have to get more efficient and, and move better through the water. I've, I've been really, really fortunate to see some very good swims in my time. Um, and you listen to people's reactions on those very good swims, and very rarely do you hear anyone in the crowd and punters say, "Gee, they made that look hard." Because <laughs> yeah. it's always, "Wow, look at look at um, look at Emma McKean going 51. Gee, she mm. makes that look easy." Uh, it, they, they're not saying it looks hard, and it's not and it's not hard hard. It's hard to do, but it's not hard by force. Mm. Yeah, and I've talked about this a bit on the podcast before, but often with when you ask someone after their best race ever, yeah, what did it feel like? It's rare that it's like, well, oh, that was really, really hard work. It's actually like, well, that felt felt pretty comfortable. Mm -hmm. More times yeah, than not, that's how it, how it felt. And for me personally right. as well, the best swim races I've ever had are the ones where I've gotten to the end and gone like, oh, okay, that felt felt good rather than being completely yeah. gassed at the end. And that's important, I think, for training too, because very often we're trying to chase um, repeat 100s just say at a certain speed. And you're getting your heart rate up and you want to get your heart rate up and that's great. But if you're swimming a certain speed and your heart rate is 20 beats lower, you're not hitting the same physiology, but you're hitting the same speed um, at a much easier pace, which means you've got more gears to go to. But if you're hitting at an easier speed, it means it's also repeatable. And if it's repeatable, you're actually probably at race pace. You're practicing the way you want to swim more efficiently. But if you're 
bashing away at a, at, a, at a time and your heart rate is really high. And sometimes that's the goal to set, there's no doubt. But I want to be at the lowest heart rate I can with a time rather than the highest heart rate I can with the same time because it just indicates that you're going to be able to keep going for longer and your stroke is a more efficient stroke. You mm. head out in the first 50 and you're gassed, you can't come home. People talk about back-end speed and for, for the guys that haven't heard it, the second half of the race all the time. But back-end speed is really a lot about how much work you do on the way out. And if you're working too hard on the way out, just to say you're going out in 28, if you're going hard on the way out to go 28, you're going to struggle to come home under 30. If you're going out comfortably at 28, you've got a better chance of coming back with the time that you want to come back at. And that's nothing to do, well, not as much to do with your fitness as it is to do with the control you've got at the front of your stroke. It's mm -hmm. definitely to do with fitness, but for the people that we're about to see going to um, going into trials, if you see somebody going out very, very hard, there's somebody going out comfortable, I'm backing the person that's comfortable versus the person that's using up all their energy. And that only happens because they've trained either to use up their energy or they've trained to be efficient. Yeah. It's that, that easy speed that gets talked about all the time, isn't it? Like if it, yeah. it, it just, it takes some, some practice and it takes, I think about mentally just being willing to sometimes hold back a little bit on that first, first 50. And actually <laughs> I was listening to a, an interview with a guy, Lionel Sanders. So this guy is probably the most well-known uh, Ironman triathlete in the world. Mm -hmm. And he's just, he's a real character. He's, he's a very hard trainer. He works very hard, but he's always been known to blow up at the end of a, of a race about 20 Ks into the marathon. And in this interview, so he got, he just got second at the, the world champs and this is his best result at a, at a world champs. Mm -hmm. And in, in this interview, he, was just explaining what he was going through, through the race. And he actually managed to hold himself back and not go with the pack on the bike and just go, okay, no, no, that pace is too fast. So he just let himself drop back and he was willing to do this individual time trial basically for the entire race. And then he just started to pick people off as he was going through the run and he managed to run over the top of people rather than, than dying. And it was just that, that knowing what your body's capable of doing and not letting the ego get in the way. Uh, of just trying to you know, stay with these different bike packs and so on. It was like, it was just this growth in him where he's for the last couple of years, just always gone well, way too hard. It's this growth in the athlete that's allowed him to actually do that and get such a good result. We, we see that a lot, especially with the sprint boys. They want to go yeah, out and yeah. beat, beat their chest and get out there hard. And I, I, a very good example is Kyle Chalmers this year. He got second at, um, at Olympics last year. Um, but then he came straight out and broke the world short course record. And the difference between his swimming in the first 50 from one to the other is phenomenal. And he came back flying home. And that, I mean, we want to be able to maintain, first of all, we want to make, be able to maintain a similar velocity. It looks like Kyle Chalmers is speeding up. It looked like Maggie and Cam were speeding up. Everyone else was dying. But they, those guys aren't speeding up at all. Their velocity isn't any faster at the end of the race um, than it was at the beginning. It's actually quite a bit slower than the first 25. They are just maintaining speed better than everybody else at the end. So I think it's important as a swimmer that we know our best race and we can't let anybody else around us affect us because they're just going to make us some worse if we're trying to keep up with them. Uh, I mean, psychologically, there's obviously I want to keep up with that person, but if that is dragging me away from your best race plan, I think everyone has the, the, the best way to do, whether it's two or four or six or eight or 16 laps of freestyle right? or, or any stroke, there's, there's the optimum way for you to swim. You can't let any distraction take you away from that. Now, that can be parents in the grandstand. That can be trying to get a qualifying time. That can be looking at the person next to you and thinking they're going to beat you. But if you've got your best plan and you stick to it, what we'll see next week is that 
probably at best four out of eight people are going to get their races right, 50%. So if you can get your race right and you know your plan and you can stick to it and, and you can train towards and absolutely know it, you're going to beat people that are more talented than you who get their races wrong mm. or who are more fit or who are technically better swimmers or whatever because you know the way you want to swim and you're not being distracted from it. So I love that example. We see that all the time. We see plenty of our best swimmers getting beaten and plenty of our best swimmers winning like we did last year at Tokyo. We saw some cracking races. Yeah. Arnie versus Kayla Decky in the two in the pool freestyle. Arnie gets our swimmer. You know, technically and emotionally and control-wise, just um, just a swim, swim better race. Same as uh, Zach in that turn to breaststroke. <sighs> just yeah, so good. Yeah. So good. So good. Just so much control and trust yeah. as well. But but Vince does a very good job with him and Zach is very controlled as well and just knows the best way to swim. There's four laps to be, you know, to, to get the best time you can. You know what you want to be like on the first 50, know what you want to be like on the second 50 and you've got to be able to stick to that and trust that those guys may have gone out too fast or, mm. or too slow or whatever, but you've got to be able to um, be aware of them because you're always going to be aware of them. But if you put your focus on them rather than focus on yourself, that distraction will take away from your race, take away from your energy and your focus. And it's hard enough to get it right, you know, with, with, without the distraction, let alone taking your, your head outside your own lane. Yeah, that's exactly right. Brad, I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I'd uh, love to get you back on uh, in the future. And no doubt we will, because we'll be doing quite a bit of work together with, um, with the Swim Better, which I'm really excited about. And for me, the reason that I was interested in, in working with it is that we film so many people every every year and we see you know so much footage so much analysis and for me this was just putting the numbers and the data behind what i'm seeing and opening up my eyes to any um anything i'm, I'm missing that you know that i that i can't see with my eyes and obviously there's quite a bit that you can't see with with your eyes so uh that's what sort of really excites me about the about the product um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, to working together over the next couple of, uh, months and years. And, um, this has been, been great. It's, uh, we could go for a lot longer, I think, but, um, Mate, yeah. well, I think we could, we, we touched on about a million things as well that we could probably dig into and, uh, and go back to if you want to, but I, I'm, I'm with you on the, on the swim better. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the learning. I feel like I'm a novice again, mm. because there are things in there that I just don't know. We just don't know about something that I'm learning and then taking that forward to putting that on top of what I already know, um, making me rethink some things as well. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what we can do with it, but uh, also looking forward to chatting again next time, Brent. That'll be great. Yeah, fantastic. And if you're listening to this and you wanted to learn more about the Swim Better, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put the link there. Uh, it's by EO. I think it's eolabs.com, but uh, I'll put that all in the show notes if you'd like to find out more about the, the Swim Better. Thanks again, Brent. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Brenton. Loved it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.